and welcome. welcome to the Spooky Succubus cast. This is Abby. I'm here with Rebecca. I Hi. have a tiny bit of a cold, but I'm COVID negative, everyone. So just hold your horses and stand down. If you're listening it. to this, it's Friday the 13th, which means that <gasps> the United States is either an openly racist fascist police state or a closeted racist fascist police state depending on who we elected. So, um, I don't know. Congratulations on surviving election day. I'm ready for open rebellion, truly. Let's yeah, put some same heads here. on spikes and shit. If you're up for a civil war, let us know. But I'm kind of lazy, so let Rebecca know, actually. Yeah, I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm working on how far I, on my distance running so that, like, I can shit. run fast and shit. I can't run fast. I can't, I can't run. I can't, it's okay. I know. I'll protect you. I can't believe you've been running. Good for you. <laughs> I mean, and not like well. I still have exercise-induced asthma, but that's fine. Oh, I didn't know you had asthma. I do. Oh, you would be so cute with a an inhaler, though. I would oh, yeah. like, love that. Precious. Asthma attacks are truly terrifying. terrifying. It's yeah. like the first time it ever happened, I... I, I thought every time it happens, I think I'm going to die. I'm like, this is it. This is how Have I you die. had one while you're running? I've like, it usually happens immediately after. It's like I'm done running and then my lungs like, and then I try to take too many gulping breaths and then it's like, mm. no, 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 no. Have yeah. you thought of just walking? <laughs> I do that sometimes too. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I walk from the fridge to the couch, back to the fridge. That's my favorite route to, to, um, truck also. Yeah. So today we're talking about the original Friday the 13th from 1980. I don't think normally we would be diving in with a heavy hitter like this, but it just so happens that this, the year of our Lord 2020, we have a Friday the 13th. And it's like, I mean, this is what, our seventh one? I feel we're like professionals we're, now. Yeah. we're seasoned. I, okay, so you want to hear the backstory of me in this movie? Yeah, tell me. So I'm a 13th baby. I was born not on Friday the 13th, unfortunately, but uh, I was born on July 13th on a Sunday. And my golden birthday, my 13th birthday, was on Friday the 13th. Cursed day. I mean, I fucking love, I love it. It was one of my best birthdays ever. My grandparents were moving out of their house into my parents' house. So it was, they totally empty. And so my sister the angel that she is volunteered to babysit me and eight of my friends in this empty house on Friday the 13th. And we just like watch movies and played hide and seek and like fucking ate junk food. It was great. It was a That's super fun. I think I went bowling for my 13th birthday. (sighs) Bowling isn't fun unless you're drunk, but you don't know that until you're old enough to bowl drunk. Yeah. You know, I like bowling though, even though I'm. Yeah, we've bowled together. We are really bad at it. Yeah. (laughs) Truly horrible. Which is the part where you need the drunk. Mm -hmm. So I have seen this movie a couple of times before, but not until my adult life. Uh, so I, one of my favorite movies is Tremors. So that was like my sexual awakening was Kevin Bacon in that movie. So, um, I just got like really horny for Kevin Bacon and nostrils and all. I'm not hating. Yeah. He's up on when I was watching this today to prep for the pod. Adam walked through and he's like, oh, is that hollow man? (laughs) I was like, (gasps) hollow man. Oh my God. 
So I love this movie. I most remember Kevin Bacon's kill in this movie, which is the best one faux show. And he's super hot. And um, it's just like a generally horny slasher flick, which is up my alley for sure. Kevin Bacon is like a sleeper scream queen, I want to say. Yeah, he was right? Tremors, Hollow Man, Stir of Echoes, which Stir we have Echoes to do. Is disturbing. It is truly disturbing. The, talk about you don't like nails and teeth. There's a heavy nail scene in that one. Yeah, it's it haunts me. It haunts me. But, okay, good. It's a movie that we both like. Look at that. How's yeah, that? and I think, um, well, frankly, I, I know there are... A dozen films in the Friday the 13th series. This is the only one I've ever seen. I know of Jason with the hockey mask, um, but this is the only one from the series that I've seen. And I was like, I don't see a hockey mask anywhere. Like, I'm like waiting and waiting. (laughs) I just see a big chunky sweater. There's not... Oh, man. Can you imagine murdering someone in a white wool sweater? You'll never get the stains out, ever. And it's so annoying to hand wash wool. It's not, like, the most practical kill uniform. I, she doesn't have full mobility. She's probably sweating profusely under there. Right, right. We'll and it looked it, like she had a turtleneck under the sweater. I was like, Mrs. Voorhees, you really need to prep better. But they she were... was effective, so what can we say? Sort of effective, yeah. But they, I think they're just hammering home, like, this is not a sexual being. She's, yes, she's not she is sexy. A, she's a rectangle, literally. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So should we do I'm the sorry. plot? Does my voice sound really fucked up? I feel you. You sound. Great. I feel like I don't sound sexy to listen to right now. I like it. I like the rasp. Thank I always you. wish I had a raspy voice. I got shrill instead. I guess I'll take it. Um, I feel you on that. All right, Rebecca, tell us what happens. Oh my God, so much happens, and so little happens. Truly. Um, so we open on campfire. And campfire songs and shitty acoustic guitar. Two counselors are in like these beautiful yellow card like polos, not cardigans. Are eye fucking each other. The POV comes in on a cabin of sleeping children, and then after the campfire songs, we come up a set of stairs to find the boy and girl counselors almost having sex at the beginning of having sex and then the person whose pov we're following attacks and kills the two okay their names claudette and barry hilarious Uh, imagine having a baby right now and saying barry yeah barry you look like a barry (laughs) it's weird because barry is short for anything it's just barry i don't like barry (laughs) and then in the cabin in the kid's cabin, there was, like, did you notice there was, like, a nasty sawdust-covered workbench in one of the cabins? Uh, yeah, I was like, I was is like, this a cabin? This way? Or... Yeah. yeah. And then, like, the when the the two are getting attacked, the, the girl is, like, throwing the... She's, like, not trying to run away. She's, like, picking up empty cardboard boxes and throwing them at the That's person. That's what I would do. <laughs> Honestly, the whole camp seems like a chicken shit operation. There's just garbage around everywhere. It's not the best. Um... And then the next scene, we follow a young brunette walking into a rural New Jersey town. She's got a big backpack on, and the bottom text shows Friday the 13th, 1980. My, Pres- my notes say, young girl belabored with a backpack. 
fun a, conversation with a dog. <laughs> her and that dog. I'm like, okay, so she's the dumb one because she's hanging out with this dog. She's asking her good questions. Limbs, like she can't control her limbs whilst holding this backpack. She's like, she's like a noodle, or you know, like the car dealership blow up man. She's just going everywhere. And she's really <laughs> selling it, how excited she is to, like, I don't know, she's, like, skipping She into loves town. working with children. She has a calling. Yeah. Uh, we can get to her her love of children when she gets in the car later. Um, so she's walking into town. She goes into a diner, convenience store-ish I think place. that's, like, a thing in small towns, like convenience store with also snack bar where you can get like a deli sandwich or a hot dog that sounds great i do that and a coca-cola and a and a a cold coca-cola and a glass um so one of the she asked them where the camp is they're all acting strange and then this older man ennis uh who's a truck driver offers to drive her halfway and then while in the car um, we learned that Annie, the girl, the brunette, um, will be working at the camp during the summer, and the man tells her that the camp is cursed and that well, she should quit. no, you have to back it up because Why? before they even depart, we have scary local crazy guy, Ralph, Ralph saying, you're never going to come back, there's a death curse, and if we know anything, if there's a local weirdo telling you not to go there, just backtrack, get out of town, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how much I trust Ralph. He does have a vest. So I guess... Uh, he has a vest and a hat and a bicycle. And, and a as it bicycle. turns out, he was right. I mean, yeah, Camp Blood is a pretty good name for the camp. Like a pretty good local lore name, like Camp Blood. Um, that should have been in the name one of the sequels. Maybe it is. I think that the one of the working titles was like A Long Night at Camp Blood. And they decided to go with Friday the 13th after some um, like copyright conversations and bullshit like that which whatever it worked i mean it's yeah it became a huge huge decade spanning it won't go away it won't it never will i'm fine with it reading through the amount of sequels and all of their names and premises gave me like an anxiety attack i was like i need to lie down (laughs) i can't believe i've only seen the first one the others are they just get worse but also better. Like, it's just, like, more stupid and more campy and, like, gorier. And I read about the one Jason takes Manhattan where they didn't actually have the budget to shoot in Manhattan, so they just shot it on a boat, which is like, really <laughs> funny. <laughs> so good. Um, okay, so while she's in the truck, he tells her of the story of Camp Crystal Lake is that in 1957, a kid drowned, and then the next year, two counselors were murdered, and there were a bunch of fires, and no one, there's, all these instances are unexplained. And then we jump to three young counselors in a truck, in a beat-up My old... notes in capital letters says, Kevin Bacon alert! Kevin Bacon. <laughs> young Abby's on alert, yeah. <laughs> they So they pull up to the camp, and then we meet couple of the other counselors who are already there and then the owner of the camp steve never trust a steve um so what i wrote about steve is he is essentially the archetype for every character in wet hot american summer because oh, yeah. he has mustache. like the blonde mob of hair the mustache wire rim glasses a bandana around his neck and no shirt and like some hip hugging 
cut off jeans. I was like, baby jeans. There's so much here. There's so much to unpack here. I, I mean, against my will, thought Steve was kind of hot. So Steve is low key a sexual predator because, as I far mean, as we know, Alice is a teenager, right? I think uh, high key sexual predator. Okay, well, I, if, I he is. He's shouting it from the rooftops. Um, because yeah, literally, think, they're on a rooftop. <laughs> they are. Yeah, she's on. She's got a hammer she can't use. Um, it's gross. So we meet Steve and all the other young sex step counselors. And they remark that Annie has not yet arrived. Then we see... Pretty much immediately, Ned, who is the person who is the worst person in the movie, gets hold of a feather and is being offensive on the archery range. Like, pretty much four minutes into the movie, he's pretending to be an indigenous person. I mean, there's a lot of, like, just them romping around doing nothing. It's like, she, yeah, Alice is up on a ladder. Brenda's being attacked by Ned. Kevin Bacon and Marcy are, like, flirting in the water. It's, yeah, they're just, like, doing a whole lot of nothing. There's not a lot in the way of character development. Uh, And we have the setup of the conflation of sex and death that is a huge part of this movie when Ned is, like, all horned up and he shoots an arrow really close to Brenda and then is, like, being lecherous and gross with her. I mean, yeah, he's, he's truly the worst. There is Ever. no encouragement from Brenda happening, and he still just, like, can't put his dick away. Classic. I love Brenda, though. Me too. She's, she's cool. She's one of our many sluts. We have, like... But she's a nice slut. The nice she's, kind of slut. She's like the, us. <laughs> like us. We're the good kind of slut. I mean, I like all the sluts. Um, so then we see Annie, who is still walking to camp, because it's far away. I don't even know how she came upon this rural New Jersey town in the first place. Where'd she come from? How did she get there? Yeah. Yeah. Did she get dropped off by a bus? I don't know. Um, But so she gets picked up by this Jeep. We don't see the driver. It's They're driving erratically. She starts talking about she's going to be the cook at this camp and that she loves working with children. She always wanted to have her own. And then she gets spooked. And she jumps out of the moving vehicle and stumbles into the woods. The driver jumps out, follows her, slits her throat. Rip Annie. Rest then in peace. almost immediately we have a Kevin Bacon and Speedo alert. Oh my god. I have so many shirtless men in this movie. No, it's a lot of white, a lot of white chests rolling around. It's a white, white movie. It's the white. whitest movie you've ever seen. Um... So, yeah, they're romping around. They're playing in the water. Ned pretends to drown so that he can surprise kiss Brenda. It's disgusting. And he is, thankfully, the first at the camp to die. Yeah, he- thank- I the whole time I'm like, all right, enough. Ned has to go. I, I just don't want to watch him do anything anymore. He's horrible. Um, so he sees someone... In, like, the shadows of a camp, or of a cabin at the camp, and he goes after them to investigate, and then we don't see him again until later, until we see his dead body later. Um, And then a storm is, (laughs) right, a storm is picking up suddenly, and it forces everyone inside. Uh, They kind of split off, so Marcy and Kevin Bacon go into a cabin to have sex. And then the other three counselors go into the main cabin where the kitchen is. And so, Bill seems to be playing a guitar as if it were a medieval lute. 
he is playing. His fingers are like, yeah, they're way up here. I thought Bill was kind of hot too, though. Can't lie. Yeah, I mean, Kevin Bacon is like obviously hot, and Bill's like the sleeper sexy guy who's handy and he knows how to use paint. He's handy. Yeah, he's a handy guy. I appreciate that because I'm not. This is like the thirstiest movie in the world, though. I I don't know how thirsty I am for Kevin Bacon. I'm sorry. I don't know. Why are you apologizing to me, Matthew Lillard <laughs> Stan? Like, I'm secure <laughs> in my feelings about K-Bake. I just think he's kind of boring, but I don't know. I'm sure he's fine. All I right. Thought- seriously, <laughs> you're going to fuck Matthew Lillard over Kevin Bacon? I don't know. I just want to, like, hug Matthew Lillard. I just want to, like, embrace Why? him. Why? He'll drip saliva on your head I'm, when he's I hugging you. I feel okay you. with that. I don't That's know. That's so he's weird, so Rebecca. He's so pure. I love him. <laughs> All right. We have to okay. get back to business. I, how many, I'm going to bring Matthew Lillard up every single episode. Um, well, good thing our listeners are only people that already like us that have to listen to this because of guilt, because otherwise they'd turn it off. (laughs) And they want to feel supportive. Um, And they are. Thank you all. Uh, So they, Marcy and Kevin Bacon have sex. Marcy goes to the bathroom. Good for Marcy. Everybody pee after sex. You don't want a UTI. Yes. Pee after sex. Uh, I was proud of her too. I was like, oh my God, we never see a woman go to the bathroom after having sex. Yeah, usually they're like, "Mm, I'm loving just lying here with your semen inside of me. So comfortable. Who doesn't like go pee after sex? I don't want to go to sleep with a load in me. Yeah, it's not. No one does that. We should normalize it. It should be normalized. Um, So she's alone in the bathroom. Kevin Bacon smokes a joint. And oh, lays back tries, on the bed. Tries to smoke a joint. But well, he lights it up. He takes a puff, right? I think. Drugs I, are bad, so you have to die. He dies. Right. Drugs yeah. and sex are, <laughs> sex are bad. So Caesar and I watched this movie together. And uh, he dies. So he gets stabbed from under the bed through the throat with an arrow. Great scene. Uh, he, Caesar Very like, good kill. That's the best time to die, though. It's like, just had sex smoking a joint that's what i was thinking i was like yeah. hey he got a really nice like passionate last sexy time he had a little weed he's probably drinking yeah it happened it looks like it happened fast like that's great yeah perfect yeah, he timing. didn't have a lot of time to yeah marinate in the death better than uh, fixing the generator like bill <sighs> shit that's so annoying you're doing a really annoying task it's raining and then it's you just raining get filled with arrows that's so inconvenient and stuck up on a door. Um, yeah, but no dignity for Bill. <laughs> no dignity. And I like Bill. Uh, but Marcy is in the bathroom alone in her underwear doing a Catherine Hepburn impression. Those are some great 70s white undies, by the way. They were, yeah, she's like romping around in there alone. And then she gets an axe to the face. Brutal death for the slut. Exactly. Right to the face. Um, I so wrote then, hatchet head. Hatchet head. TM. Uh, so the three other counselors are playing Strip Monopoly, which was Brenda's idea. Um, and she, but This she was ca- like the weirdest turn. Brenda's like, oh, I left my windows and my cabin open, so the game has to completely end. She puts on her raincoat over her underwear, doesn't pick up her clothes. That's what I was she like, put on <laughs> your clothes. You, you have clothing, yeah. 
It's She's already like, see you later. <laughs> it's been raining for like an hour, two hours. Like it's not you're not gonna stop anything worse from happening. I don't know. It's just a close them choice. and come back, or at least put your clothes on before you leave. I like to think that Brenda like saw the relationship building between Bill and Alice Brenda's and was a, like, y'all get to it. I'm going to run Brenda's off. wing womening. Yeah. She is. It. Yeah. So that's what I like to think. Um, but so she goes to the, her cabin and then goes to the bathroom where Marcy oh my God. just cabin, died. She turns into like a Victorian maiden in her cabin. With She's her wearing book. a full length <laughs> nightgown. <laughs> A candle. And she's like, when will my lover return from war? (laughs) What's going on, Brenda? But she also, like, goes to the bathroom to brush her teeth. But then we see the cabin and she has a sink in In the cabin. cabin. Like, what? You didn't have to go to the bathroom. But it was so that we had the tension because we knew that Marcy just died in there. But, like, then don't show the sink, guys. I don't know. It's almost as stupid as getting into a canoe instead of a running vehicle after you've just been through a murder spree. Oh, my but God. But we'll talk about that later. Well, that will come to that. I was like, oh, God. The final girl is an idiot, of course. Um, so Brenda hears what she thinks is a child screaming, and so she goes out into the rain to investigate, isn't seen again, until her body comes flying through a window. Um... The so we come back to Bill and Alice, and they are suddenly concerned about Brenda for no reason. So well, they go to look for her. Alice oh, thought she the, heard a scream, and the lights went on at the archery range. The lights in the archery range went on. Um, so they go to look for her. They find an a, a bloody axe in her bed, but aren't like, super concerned. No problem. Yeah, well, like, that happens all the time. I'm sure there's a simple explanation for this. Wrong. Um, and then they go back to the main cabin and then instead of sticking together, Bill goes out on his own to check the generator. Doesn't come back right away. So Alex goes, Alice goes to look for him, finds him nailed to a door. Not great. Not great. And then she runs back to the main cabin, starts to barricade it, ties the door shut with a rope, and then just starts, like, throwing random shit up against the door. I I said, it works on securing the door with a copious amount of very light chairs. Yeah. Like, like, what are you doing? This isn't... They're chairs, like, made of balsa wood, basically. And then later, when she runs out, it clearly takes her two seconds to clear all this stuff out of the way and run like she didn't like did not do a great job um the whole time i was like alice no alice alice no 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 (laughs) stop what are you doing doing? yeah (laughs) there's also a very long scene before she goes to look for bill of her making coffee it's like four minutes long it's a lot and i was only thinking to myself why do you have instant coffee Make real strange. coffee. Yeah. And she put so little coffee and so much sugar in that cup. It was so gross. Yeah. It, look, it seemed like it'd be disgusting. It was I'm a glad. nice old camp stove, though. I'm glad Bill died before he had that coffee, though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> same. <laughs> uh, so then Brenda's body's thrown through the window. Alice is hiding. The person comes in and then starts jiggling the door. Um, and then a car pulls up. And she runs out thinking it's Steve. Which, not a smart idea at all. No. Um, And then she finds a woman in a thick sweater instead. Thick with two C's, baby. 
she trusts implicitly because internalized misogyny, right? Mm-hmm. Can't be the killer. Um, yeah. And then, so this woman turns out to be Mrs. Voorhees. She used to work at the camp as the cook, which is interesting because our first girl, Annie, was also the going to be the cook. Was also the cook, yeah. Um, and her son drowned in the lake while two counselors were, as she puts it, making love. Which um, was uncomfortable to hear her say. It was a yeah. strange choice of dialogue. Uh, they were making love. <laughs> like, I, so... Now I never want to make love again, <laughs> Mrs. Voorhees. <laughs> it was weird. Um, so then she starts attacking Alice, chases her around. Alice knocks her unconscious at one point, but doesn't like continue hitting her or like tie her of, up or anything. A lot of flailing and like. It'll be like she hits Mrs. Voorhees like lightly on the arm with the baseball bat and Mrs. Voorhees falls down. She's like, good enough. Gotta go. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's also like the killer is good at killing until they get to our final girl and then they're inefficient. They're like so inefficient. Yeah. Um, So Mrs. Voorhees tries to strangle her and then Alice gets a hold of the machete that Mrs. Voorhees had sometimes been using for her weapon and decapitates Alice decapitates Mrs. Voorhees with one fail swoop. I have no confidence in Alice's ability to machete someone's head off in one swoop after all of the flailing and frying pans and all of the nonsense of the last 10 minutes. She is not, she's not good enough to kill someone with what, it's not, it's not logical. Yeah. There's a lot of bone to go through. It was unbelievable. Yeah, um, I would think you would get, like, halfway through and then stop, and then you'd have to, like, wrench the thing out. It would yeah. be a whole thing. And, I mean, the fact, the whole fact of Mrs. Voorhees having no blood on her chunky knit sweater was also perplexing to me. <laughs> I mean, they just wanted, like, a head flying out scene, you know, which was a good one, I guess. But, yeah, it uh, was fun. And then, so inexplicably... Then- Inexplicably, Alice, Alice gets into a fucking a quick canoe. jaunt. Yeah, just a quick little jaunt on the lake. Got some um, charming piano music playing. She's just taking a little snooze. There is a running vehicle available to her, but so yeah, Mrs. Voorhees drives up in her her murder jeep, and the lights are on, <laughs> and it is 1980, so the keys are in the ignition. If the lights are on, correct. It's, Get in the car. I don't know. I, I know don't... there's a body in there, but like there's a body everywhere at this Push point. Push her out. You would Get you? In there. I just. She could I have don't... done that and not decapitated Mrs. Voorhees either. She could have just drove away. Wild. Yeah. It was pretty wild. And then, of course, we have the famous shot that doesn't feel tacked on at all of our little lake monster popping up to just say, hey, Alice, you want to come down here? Yeah, it's it's fun down here. Yeah, so the cops... So Alice is, is floating dreamily in the lake. She's got one hand in the water. She's lolling about. And then two cop cars pull up. She lifts her head. And then what is presumably the body of Jason jumps out of the water and pulls her under, flipping the canoe. Um, but then Alice wakes up in a hospital and asks, where's the little boy? And she said he's still there. She gets a little Valium in the butt, and that's that. Yeah, that's a wrap. That's it. I So this takes place, oh God, math, 23 years after 
Jason dies, but he would he then he would not be this like charred remain Baby of a boy. boy he right. would be a like a skeleton with maybe well, some from what I read, because I'm a film historian and I'm very smart, Looking obviously up. this scene wasn't actually supposed to be in the movie the way Sean Cunningham and I think Vincent Miller is the screenwriter created yeah. it. Basically, it was a studio tack on. Um, so Jason was never supposed to be in this movie anyway. And it feels that way. It's not, It does feel that way. It's not fun. It's not cool. I... Um... I wish that Mrs. Voorhees was the one who came back to do all the killing instead of Jason. Because that would be fun. Like, I and- So what I love is a middle-aged, seemingly middle-class or working-class, average white female villain. I love the idea it's of that. It's great. What I don't love is the fact that she is completely driven by an identity that is not even her own identity it's a motherhood identity so everything she does all of her actions her violence are driven by her identity as mother and eventually what is required of her which is to be a mother and to reproduce and raise a child that is like functional and adds to society then eventually drives her insane and destroys her and completely consumes her and turns her into a monster. So it is boring and played out and lame to have a female, like, uh, anti-hero that is completely driven by motherhood. It's just so not interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's nothing that's happened. Like, I don't know. I guess it has. I guess there's, like, an all-consuming motherhood where love turns into this toxic violence like i think this is yeah probably has some notes that taken from psycho and uh you know that kind of thing but i mean which is kind of the so friday the 13th came out a year two years after halloween and it borrows Mm -hmm. heavily from psycho and from halloween right um in like but it takes the like the POV thing is really interesting. We watch a stalker. Mm-hmm. We assume it's a male because like they're subverting the audience because. But we we can also assume that people are not immediately made uncomfortable or afraid by this person's appearance right. until it's too late. Instead of like Mike Myers is like tall, so he's scary. You know, it's like she's. It's also she would be very strong to to nail a a grown almost grown man's body to a door, throw it's a mother, whole body it's mother through. mother strength, you know? She can flip a car for her baby. <laughs> yeah, um, for her little perfect baby. And she, yeah, so she takes a lot of pride in telling the story to Alice at the end. She's, like, very proud of herself for committing all these murders and starting fires and trying not to let the camp reopen, presumably to save more children. Um yeah, and we see the mother that, like, to the world, I guess. Mother to the world, but it's turned her into a monster, mm-hmm. which is what we can presume happens to like mother bodies, mother identities. Like you turn into this other version of yourself that will sacrifice anything for your child, even past like reason, uh, and even when it becomes like self indulgent insanity. Her use of mommy and her talking in Jason's voice was very creepy though 
Well, yeah, I <laughs> know it was pretty gross. <laughs> and then so we can also assume that she is insane because she appears to have manifested Jason as a split part of her personality, which is just like so lazy. Like, oh, the woman has gone insane. Like these sexualized teenagers have to become victims so that she can like continue on her pursuit to righteousness because she is being told to by her angel baby boy. I mean, the the treatment of mental illness and mental health issues in every scary movie is grossly Abysmal. uninformed mm-hmm. and detrimental. And this is just another case of like, oh, she has a split personality. It's like we saw the same thing in Thirteen Ghosts with like the jackal. It's like yeah, this mo- and mental like even illness the use of- is equated with badness or and even evil. Ralph. Yeah. Like him being right. the crazy per- the crazy guy is like who's like harmless and turned out to be right, and was I guess just trying to save those teenagers and not by killing other people but by being like get out you know he just had a bike I don't he wasn't doing it he did his best with a bike he was just you know I'm gonna hang out in this closet because someone will eventually find me here this is a place like where someone will eventually have to go so I'll be able to talk to them. And maybe his, he liked hanging out in that closet. I'm not going to fault him for it. He wasn't doing his motive, anything wrong. His way of going about things was was a little strange, but you know. But there's not not logic. There's logic. There is logic there. It's um, it's just not our version of what is logical. I I justice for Ralph. He did okay, right? He, yeah. His mouth. Talk about a wet mouth. He had that like those like smushed chompers and like a like a weird chin. It was a lot of mouth. It was a lot of mouth. Mm -hmm. So in my um, extensive research as a film historian, I also discovered, (laughs) did you find this out, that Sean Cunningham was making sex education movies before he got into, like, (laughs) horror filmmaking? Yes. He was was also working with Wes Craven, a young Wes Craven. I actually just watched Last House on the Left the other day, and... um, it is fucked up, but also delightful soundtrack. We should cover that sometime. Yeah, we will. That's a heavy hitter, too. That's, Just like I don't even know about. if we're prepared for a heavy hitter like that. We'll and then there. the screenwriter, Victor Miller, I think that's what I said before, but if I said it wrong, please forgive me, uh, was writing for soap operas. And I was like, wow, what a weird cocktail. Makes sense. It's yeah. the, dr- the drama of it all. Totally. I... The score, though, by Mansfield, what's his name? I thought it was like the, you know, it's all, it's great. I thought it was like, good. The eerie. Well, it's when you really put it in perspective, this movie kind of, right now, we're so used to slasher movies and we're so used to the twist in this movie because Jason is such a ubiquitous cultural figure for us now. But imagine watching this in 1980, like before slasher movies really had a foothold. It was probably like really fucking scary and right. really wild. Yeah. I mean, where I'm, I especially am very desensitized, but like, yeah, I think it was, it, it did its, what it set out to do, like be a fun slasher, kind of take all of these, these things that were coming, the POV and the stalker mm-hmm. and all and of the, the score, and the yeah. slasher and like kind of took all those and, and was repeating them and was stealing them, but did it also did it pretty well. I think uh, I like this movie. So, and we get to see one nipple. 
A whole nipple. There wasn't a, a bra nipple. to be had on this set. Nobody was wearing God a bra. God bless them. Yeah. Everybody if I had could hard live that nipples. Way, I would. It yeah. Was, Why were nipples just better in the seventies? I don't know. They were like eating the, less hormones at, from meat. Yeah, you're so probably they, exactly right. But the the tits just always have like that nice little like perky the swoop. uplift. The swoop exactly. I don't. I mean, I the, don't have that. Uh, me neither. It's fine. Our bodies are weird. I mean, that was just who they were casting. They were casting people who look like Kevin Bacon and women with swoopy tits. Um, Maybe someday in another life I'll have the swoop. So now that we're on tit talk, should we talk about the sort of cementing of the conflation of sex and death in this movie and generally in the genre? Yeah. And final girl, virgin slut, mother. We got yeah. it all. You know, we do have it all here. We're so um, obviously, Barcy is the slut, which is kind of funny because as far as we can tell, she's in a committed consensual relationship that is healthy uh, and she is anti Ned. So I stand Marcy all the way. Yeah, she shuts him down. Like, stop talking. Yeah, he, like, asked her, dick. <laughs> he asked her if there will be other pretty girls at the camp like her. And she's basically like, shut the fuck up. Shut the and, fuck up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and mean, she's we've got all great little curly had a boyfriend hair. where we inherited like a really shitty friend with the boyfriend. Yeah. And it's just like, he's just there, you know? Like they're in a band together and they think they're going to make it. And you just <laughs> have to be in the basement with them. And you're like, this just doesn't feel what I signed, like, feel like what I signed up for. Yeah. But it'd be, but men never want to hang out with women's friends. So it's like, you have to hang out with the dude's friends. It's horrible. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Except I mean, not for anymore. our partners, because we force them to hang out with whoever we want to hang out with. <laughs> and they're like, okay, can I smoke okay. a joint on the way there? You sure can, honey. <laughs> yeah, do whatever you want. Um, it's, yeah, the whitest movie ever, extremely uh, heterosexual. There's, like, the only fucking we ever get to see in a slasher movie is between a young, hot girl and a young, hot boy. Unless it was pretty boring fucking, but I can imagine for pre- 1980, it was probably, like, pretty earth-shattering <gasps> for a theater yes. of people. She was on top and everything, so... She Ooh. certainly wasn't on top. <laughs> she, wait, what? She wasn't or he wasn't? He Maybe was I'm on rem- top. Maybe I'm remembering wrong. Maybe you're remembering know, when sex is actually enjoyable for a woman. <laughs> Kidding, kind of. <laughs> and, um... So, we, the, as I think I mentioned earlier, the conflation of sex and death starts with Ned because he is, like, horned up and out of control. And he is obviously sexually interested in Brenda. So, instead of being like, what are your interests? He shoots an arrow at her to scare He's, her into submission. I mean, I don't know exactly what the game plan was. And she also, Brenda, gives him nothing. She's like, wow, you're a dick. You almost killed me. Yeah, like, and, do you want to help me or do you want to fuck off? And then, and then instead, again, oh, you go ahead, please, uh, madam. No, I was just going to say, we said it earlier, but instead of like, yeah, talking to her, he pretends to drown so that she surprise kisses him. He or he surprise kisses every her. single person there. They were having a great time taking a break from nailing nails and painting walls. And, and Brenda is a good up. person. So she was like, obviously, I hate Ned, but the man is drowning. So I'll dive in to save him. There's a lot to be said about Ned and, like, the toxic masculinity and predatory behavior that he exudes from every pore of his body in this movie. 
but also the fact that he gets killed first at the camp. Not first, because the woman has to die first, but... Of course, yeah. Of course, yeah. But he still gets, like, his retribution. Is that, like, we are all rooting for him to die, and I think we're supposed to hate him. Yeah. Hopefully, as an audience. Of course. So there's, like, that... As opposed to, like, Kevin Bacon's character, who's, like, knows how to work the generator and has a girlfriend, That's, so he I did not fucking... think you were going to say generator, Rebecca. <laughs> generator? Genitals. Genitals? <laughs> knows how oh, to work the genitals. knows how to work the genitals. Well, yeah, he knows how to do that, too. So Yeah, like, it's him... good to have a handyman around, make sure the non-handymen die first. Yeah, and that, but that's also, like, Ned can't kill a snake... He doesn't know how to work a generator. He's just the worst, so he dies. Worst possible handling of a snake indoors. You don't need to have a pillow fight with a snake, okay? It's just a snake. It belongs there, and you don't. Maybe just, like, take it outside. Maybe you shoot it with a broom outside. They chopped it into several pieces, knocked over every piece of furniture in the room. (laughs) I was like, not everyone needs to be here. This is pretty much like a one-person job, you know? Yeah, they were treating it like a, everyone come in here and be scared, like, at this one tiny snake who just is looking for a mouse. Like, it doesn't... Yeah, just... I mean, I understand not wanting to sleep in a cabin where you know there's a snake luring, like uh, lurking around, but just make the snake go outside where it lives, you know. And it'll the snake it'll was be here happy. first. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't want to be trapped in there with you horrible people. Yeah, you're all a nightmare. <laughs> but they instead chop it in half. Also, like phallic symbol on a phallic symbol, right? Yeah, true that. Mm-hmm. Honestly, there are so many phallic symbols, I think I'm desensitized at this point. Right. I mean, machete, snake, arrows, it's all there. It's all there. Penetrating. A lot of penetrating. <laughs> so the conflation of sex and death continues when Marcy and Jack, a.k.a. Kevin Bacon and a Speedo, are unknowingly fucking underneath Ned's dead body, which is <laughs> gross. Gross, Yeah. Uh, and then there, it's like a sandwich. It's a killer victim sandwich. Got dead sandwich. on top. Yeah. yeah. Killer Two on the bottom. Two future victims in the middle, <laughs> killer on the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. And then Kevin Bacon's kill happens. And then uh, we get Marcy in the bathroom, who is being like, I mean, I guess she's being slutty just by standing in a bathroom in her underwear. Unforgivable. She doesn't have any shower shoes on, which is what I was like. Everyone is barefoot through this whole movie, and I'm like, you guys are all going to get fungus. This is disgusting. They're running outside with no shoes on in a a camp that's not fully set up yet, even. Like, there has to be, like, nails and broken glass and wood, and you're going to get a splinter. I, yeah. Brenda, what are you going to do to help a little kid in your nightgown and your socks? You didn't, you (laughs) have your raincoat. We know it's there. Yeah, it was, she already wore it. Yeah, all of the costume changes, I feel like we went through a lot of clothing in this one day. It's, was, it's one day, and they are all wearing, like, four different outfits. Yeah. It's interesting. The best outfit, I would say, is Brenda in her matching bra and panty set with the raincoat over top of it, though. That's a good one. Although Marcy was wearing brown bell-bottom corduroys and, like, a pink peasant top. So if you have wide hips and a huge ass, nothing will make you feel less confident than a pair of corduroys. I oh, are you to say. are you talking about my life? Because no, I'm talking about before. my oh. my own ass. 
Do you think I would call out your ass like that? I mean, it's the truth. On this nationally aired radio show reaching (laughs) millions of listeners. Our award winning (laughs) winning podcast. My God. No, it's true, though. Excuse me. So then uh, we also have the just casual cultural appropriation and use of indigenous traditions that have been warped by white culture. And this is something that has gone back generations, not generations, but like years in American outdoor culture and camping culture, summer camp culture. So it's the like appropriation of indigenous ideas and traditions, like even like passing the talking stick and mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> the archery setup of the archery ranges. And uh, Ned is like, a very significant offender in all of these ways of course like he is indicative of sort of the apex of all of this appropriation coming to a head because he says gross things like the squaws are revolting he Mm -hmm. does an imitation of a tribal dance while wearing a headdress and uh he also has the feather on early in the film so it was validating to see ned die because ned again is all not only like sexually disgusting but also he's clearly a racist asshole right i mean but it's across that you see like little um like totem poles and and like the names of the cabins and yeah it's and i went to a summer camp we did all those like let's make a bead fucking drum like god's eyes and and stuff yeah yeah and the arrowheads especially in arizona and i've read an article that like even the organization and the scheduling of the camp some american summer camp is sometimes reflective of like selective parts of native culture so it's this you know thing that you know, white America does to many marginalized groups, which is like, I will take the things that I deem valuable, make them valuable through a white lens and a white culture, and then dismiss what I don't want from you. And that's really frustrating to see. And of course, uh, it's even more offensive in 1980. We have come like a little tiny bit of a way. Uh, We've creeped forward really slowly into 2020. But it's really disgusting to see how um, white America takes these sort of like cultural markers, but then dismisses like things like food sovereignty that would actually be sustainable and let, you know, indigenous people have food sovereignty um, and farming rights to the land that they've been amazing stewards of for generations. I mean, this is a tool of white supremacy is taking Mm -hmm. a culture and making it a thing and disregarding the people so that when the people are disregarded, it's not seen as as bad because they are the other. And it is this jokey, fun, let's dress up, let's name our football, national football team, this racist. It's, it's disgusting. And it's still happening. I mean, this is 40 fucking years ago. It's still happening. So yeah, and we especially very far now that we're in November in the podcast world, we're Oh, no, we're in actual November in podcast recording and podcast world. I think it's uh, like important to honor the indigenous experience because we're approaching American Thanksgiving, which is a historically racist uh, the holiday where we celebrate the destruction of indigenous peoples in a really tone deaf way. So I think it's like worth reflecting on as we all move towards this holiday that we have sort of dismissed the origins of in our collective consciousness. I mean, I like pie. 
So it's hard for me to, like, not want to celebrate Thanksgiving. No, I mean, I like pie, too. But I think there's a sensitive and intelligent way to approach, like, conversations with your loved ones and thinking about, like, a land acknowledgement and whose land you're actually occupying as you celebrate this holiday. And seeing if there are any, like, local initiatives that indigenous groups in your area are trying to push through, like, any naming conversations or other initiatives that are happening that you can find ways to support. You think about all the gross things you did when you were in elementary school of, like, all of those coloring pages you did and, like, making a pilgrim hat and making a feather headdress and all. It's really upsetting that that wasn't... I'm not... I'm old, but I'm not that old. Like, this wasn't that long ago. No, and, I'm, and I'm sure it's still happening in elementary schools today, right now. And I feel like... How do we tell, like, teachers that have literally no resources that they have to take on the emotional labor and financial burden of decolonizing their um, their curriculum when there's, like, no support from the federal government for education and it sort of falls last, you know, on the list of things that we need to prioritize. So we're just in this cycle of white supremacy that won't break until the system breaks and is destroyed. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to be done. And I think that, like, I would like to think that a lot of teachers want to take this on. Ooh. Adam says I'm allowed to cough and blow my nose when you're talking because he can cut it out. Oh, yeah, that's true. Huh? Cut it out and post, Adam. Then when you're talking, I'm just going to cough cont- <clears throat> the whole time. Um, <laughs> uh I don't remember what I was saying. It was important. Who? I mean, who cares what we're saying? Like, anyway, we don't know what we're talking I about. I don't know what I care. I don't know what I'm saying. Does anything anyway. sound more exhausting than strip Monopoly? I hate Monopoly. I mean, because... It is the most unfun game. Honestly, I hate capitalism. But that's... Do, Monopoly was Did you know Monopoly made was, as an anti-capitalist, anti-capitalist game, game that yes, was supposed was... to be like against landlords and was supposed to like reveal how um, corrupt landlording was. And then yeah. guess what? Corporate America stole it and made it a capitalist ploy. Disgusting. I forget. And the, and the inventor of Monopoly was a woman who was played by the board game companies and had the rights to this basically stolen and never made any money off of it. So whoever you are, lady whose name I forgot and invented Monopoly. And I know that my sister's friend Emily knows. Emily, if you're listening, I'm sorry that I forgot this person's name. But like <laughs> capitalism ruins everything, you guys. And shout That's out true. to the lady creator of Monopoly. I think she did a game. great job. Because Monopoly is terrible and I hate it. Um, because Just I like hate, ter- I hate yeah. capitalism <laughs> and it's terrible. And yeah. So she did a good job. The but, dollop did a really good episode on the landlord's game, mm-hmm. which is where I learned about it. I forget how I le- I don't know if you like it's been a long I time. forgive the dollop for being two white men because they try. <laughs> I Yeah, I mean, they're podcasters, so we have to support them, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they're dying for our support. They're like... I wish that this podcast with 200 followers on Instagram would almost 200 almost. Yeah, we're uh, we'll get there by the time this I think after I posted that really like sexy astrology thing meme about just like basically revealing things about every guy we've ever fucked. I think we lost a couple of followers. We did lose some here and there, but we're going to get them back. Don't you worry. Um, So what else are we talking about? I don't even oh, know. You know what? 
you know what's gross? Another, like, small little toxic masculinity predatory is that the truck driver who picks up Annie straight up puts both palms on her ass in order to get her in the truck. I'm like, there are ways to do that that aren't just like a complete handful of booty. And then he says, you know, is every girl going to be as pretty as you there? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, hey, maybe talk to a young female identifying person about something other than their appearance. It's would that kill you? Enos? Enos? Ennis? Ennis? It reminds me of Brokeback Mountain, so. I actually uh, haven't seen Brokeback Mountain. I, let's watch it. It's so sad. I'll just cry the whole time. Um, it's a good movie. It's beautiful mountains. And, hey, and I sheep. applaud you for loving to cry because it's actually pretty healthy for you. I love crying. It's, it's cathartic. Everyone should cry more. That's what I say. That's what I shout from the rooftops. So do you want to talk about our final girl a little bit more? Alice? Alice? Yeah. Alice and Steve. Um, So Alice is also... Obviously have history. Sex history. She is an artist just like us. She's drawing terrible portraits of Steve. She can't handle a hammer. She feels really creeped out when he touches her hair, I think, by the look on her face. She's like, do you know how long it took me to blow dry this quaff? It's not a great quaff, but she. Steve's... But I admire her commitment to her blow dryer just the same. Uh, yeah. So when Steve sees her drawings, he says, "You're very talented and very pretty," and then touches her hair. And then um, she she has her agency removed by Steve because she clearly wants to leave and expresses that she wants to leave. And then she is forced to ignore her instincts by the patriarchal boss that she's working for, and she says, "Okay, I'll stay." And then we also see Alice's instincts dismissed later in the movie when chaos has ensued because she's very clear to Bill, like, we need to get out of here. And then Bill kind of, like, infantilizes her and, like, gives her a kiss on the cheek, says, you know, it's okay, we're going to be fine. And then Bill and... uh, Not Alice. Bill dies, and then Alice is like, well, fuck, now I'm here by myself, unable to barricade a door, even though, like, I instinctually did want to leave, but men just made her ignore her instincts, and then she's just here alone with this crazy... I'm sorry, you guys. I forgot I was talking. (laughs) Whoops. A fail. fail Blacked out. A blacked out. So she's just here with this. I almost said crazy woman, but I don't want to be that reductive. So she's here with Mrs. Voorhees, finds herself in this scenario that she had no desire to be in and tried to fight against being in. And then she has to decapitate the woman with a machete. I mean, that's it. Her hand was guided by Satan, I think, because there's no way she could have done that. I agree Um, with you. (laughs) So there's also before we get this sort of glimpse into Steve and Alice's a uh, gross relationship of him ordering everyone around when Kevin Bacon and company first arrive. He is very mansplainy, cannot remember where he told people to be, is telling Alice, like ordering her to go tell other people to do things, even though he's already told them to do something else. And he's like just a straight up dick. So he's such a dick. But he goes to a diner where we meet this, like, fun little lady, and she's hitting on Sandy. Sandy. I love Sandy. What did I write down about Sandy? I said... Love the glasses. Sandy, the diner lady, has some real pizzazz, and I stand (laughs) by that. I agree. 
Um, but yeah, he like knows that it's raining. He knows that he has all of these young counselors back at the camp and he's chilling at a diner with Sandy. Isn't very concerned about heading back to them or like checking on them, making sure that the generator is working, that the power's on, that there's no serial killer out to get them. He doesn't seem to care at all. And then he dies off screen. I'm glad. And we can presume, too, that Steve has a relationship with Mrs. Voorhees of some kind because he says, hey, what are you doing out in this mess? So I feel like Steve was probably ignoring some red flags that he could have acknowledged and not put the lives of, you know, minors in danger. But here we are. I mean, he opens the camp, even though... I mean, I guess 20 years ago there was a murder, you know, everyone's got to get over it. But uh, there was fires, like recent fires and like recent. And bad water. Apparently Mrs. Voorhees Mm -hmm. did something to like poison or um, contaminate the water. Mm -hmm. But, you know, whatever. He's not as bad as Ned, so. Yeah, fuck Ned. Fuck Ned. So ACAB, of course, the cops do like pretty much nothing here oh god when they come up to the camp uh the cop on the motorcycle comes up to the camp is when ned does his uh offensive dance he calls him tonto and then he uses the term boy and then he asks them which is also historically racist even though he's talking to a bunch of white kids is obsessed with talking about weed and whether or not they're smoking it and then uh says calls Ralph crazy, doesn't really look for him at all, and then leaves and does nothing. He didn't do shit. Yeah. And then Ralph, of course, was there. Ralph just takes care of his own ass because apparently nobody else cares what he's doing or is really that committed to community protection for a person with mental health problems. So he just rides his bicycle on out of there. And guess what? Ralph doesn't get murdered because good for Ralph. He's just taking care of himself. He's also riding his bike very far. Good for him. He's got some good... Uh, I'm sure he has really strong good legs. good leg muscles, yeah. yeah. But... And then the cops show up at the end, of course, because cops don't prevent crime. They just show up afterwards, so... Yeah. They, and, of course, the one cop had the opportunity to prevent crime. He was with Steve and could have been like, yeah, I'll go check on them. But then there was the other car accident that had happened so he was diverted and then steve pretty much immediately gets murdered mm-hmm. out in the rain also in a yellow raincoat so. the actually we'll talk about this later another time but it was really funny to see like the full-on a cab treatment of cops in uh last house on the left because mm. they're just like the stupidest fucking cops ever that like they run out of gas they have to get on a truck with chickens <laughs> do you remember this it's so yes, funny yes i do we'll i mean talk. i i would like to think that horror movies on a whole like just so that they can function are anti they're pretty anti-cop yeah for yeah, sure because the cops don't do anything and that's literally what happens in real life when people get murdered so yeah and alice is ill-equipped to handle herself so instead of doing anything logical she has to get in a canoe because there's no protections for her because guess what cops are not here to protect and serve they're here to uh, enact a military state against citizens that are just trying to live I'm going to say that it's Alice's fault that she got in that canoe, though. I don't know why she got in the canoe. It was her own stupid decision. I don't get it. She didn't even have an oar because the oar broke during the oar fight with Mrs. Voorhees. Oar fight. Oar fight. Uh, TM. (laughs) And she just, I, 
Like, what was she going to do out there? And also, how did the cops wait out and get her? Did they swim to her and carry the canoe back? I, I don't know. We're never going to know. We'll never know. But that's my feelings on Friday the 13th. Yeah, I feel like I've expressed my frustrations. But overall, I think it's a really fun slasher flick. It's really cool to, especially now in quarantine, I've been just watching like horror movie after horror movie. So every once in a while when I happen to select one of the seminal kind of like staples of the genre, I'm like, ah, full circle. How refreshing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the classic. It's a classic. I want to get a little hockey mask tattoo. Oh, that would be so cute. Yeah, because, well, you know the Pixie song, the number 13, mm-hmm. also f- always felt really close to my heart, and then I was going to get a little Jason Voorhees, like, chest adjacent, because, like, she's got a tattooed tit, says number 13, is like, yeah. but instead a little Jason Voorhees mask. Wouldn't that be cute? That That's would be idea. really cute. Good idea. Yeah. Right. All right. I got to cool That's... it on tattoos until... Next year, I think. You have gotten several. I go through, like, spurts, yeah. Uh, I have another one scheduled in a couple of weeks, too. Of what? Uh, So my friend... I can tell you on air. My friend Patty passed away a couple of years ago. You might remember her. Or I don't know if you ever met her. Maybe it was before we were friends. But she was from Nebraska. So I'm getting, you know, like, the Omaha nebraska like corn girl it's like a woman mounted on a corn like riding it like a horse oh but, yeah <laughs> yeah but the artist is making her more like a little punk corn riding girl so that should be really cool Cute. my homage to patty who i love and miss Aww. every day <clears throat> sorry nice. i coughed again <sighs> so Thank you guys all for joining us. We are having so much fun making this, and we know there's only four of you out there, but we're loving it just the same. Thank and you. And so you can follow us on Instagram at Spooky Succubus Cast. Oh, sorry, Spooky Succubus underscore Cast mm-hmm. on Instagram. And that has our link tree, which has the the links to Spotify Website, and Patreon, Apple Podcasts yeah. and Patreon and all that on there. So. And uh, our next episode will be on People Under the Stairs. I am so excited. I've been waiting for this one for a while. No, oh, we, no already shit. we already did one. People Under the Stairs. Oh, <laughs> Whoops. That's you guys, okay. <laughs> cut it out in post. <laughs> no, it's going to be uh, The Wicker Man, right? The Wicker Man. No, no, shit. We're so <laughs> stupid, Rebecca. <laughs> the next one is House on Haunted Hill. Oh, okay. And House then on The Wicker Hill. Man. The Wicker mm-hmm. Man we're going to do for some folksy horror for Thanksgiving. So I'm pumped for that one because that's a weird ass movie. Core. Adam says basically every time I say cut it out in post, it's just a sign to him to not cut it out in post. Cut, I to, feel like you could to cut pwn me. Out, but <laughs> <laughs> we don't. Even when we did, like, okay, stop recording. It was still there. he fine. like literally the funniest part of the putts episode to him was Caesar getting his shoes. I was like, do you even like the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Is it because I picked up a shoe and then all the boxes fell? Yeah, like I'm fell. Pretty- and then was, <laughs> we wait till you hear it. The door is so creaky. It's like, <laughs> well, because like a peek behind the curtain, I'm recording in my closet because I live in an apartment complex and we live very close to the entrance. So you can hear 
every car that passes by and like it, it would just be too much background noise so I'm like straight up sweating in my closet right now sitting on the floor and thankfully decides, I get to oh he like, has to get his shoes right in this hour of time that I like we record <laughs> but whatever it's fine hey we love him I know he's precious can't but. live with him can't live without him <laughs> yeah so again I at spooky succubus underscore cast on instagram our patreon is patreon.com slash spooky succubus cast we officially have one patron we love you maya thank you thank you and also, we'll be doing a bonus you know app for free? only the one person but you guys can get there you can be with us for our bonus app anytime any place and we'll, yeah we're gonna do one a month and even if no one subscribes yet they'll be there um but you know what is free rating and reviewing us on on apple podcasts so like just like write a quick little guy just like a few little yeah we know all of you listening so just please do it yeah come on guys <laughs> come on come on but if thank our, you for listening if our husbands and our co-workers can't do it how are we gonna get anyone else to do it i know I'm adam gonna, told I... me today he's not even subscribed he forgot to adam he's gonna hear this call out too uh, yeah, but he has the power to cut it out in post. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's wrap this sucker okay, up. Okay, see you guys later. Bye. Love you. Bye. Bye.